Welcome to an At The Flicks Halloween special. Today, I am delighted to say Graham and I are joined by the wonderful Joe Durrant. Hi, Joe. How are you? I'm very well, thank you, uh, Jeff and Graham. How are you both? Very well. You all set for the spooky season? Graham's got his witch costume on, as you can see. <laughs> well, you know what? It, this is interesting. Before we start talking about films, I absolutely, when I was growing up, loved Halloween, like massively so. Um, didn't go trick-or-treating. My parents never really wanted me to go out and do that. And I was around in the you know early 1980s where maybe trick-or-treating wasn't such a big thing as it is, you know, has been in more recent years. But I always used to get a, a new mask every uh, Halloween, a new witch's mask or whatever it might be. I've got multiple black hats. Hats. My black cape was a bit homemade. I mean, it was just basically a bin bag. Um, I had a toasting fork. I had a little broomstick. And I would put on a little play every year for my family and family friends as well to come around. And I'd have all these different books with poems and stories. And uh, we'd film it sometimes on an old, ca- you know, those like camcorders. Is that what they were called back yeah, in the yeah, 1980s? Absolutely. There's probably one loitering around my mum's house somewhere. So, yeah, I really do like Halloween. And I, I used to always want to carve a pumpkin, but my parents always gave me a turnip instead. I don't know why. Um, maybe we couldn't afford a pumpkin. I'm <laughs> not sure. <laughs> Pumpkins are harder to car- carve, actually. They're a lot bigger and there's a lot more of them. I do remember yeah, yeah. carving one one year and then the seeds. God, there's so many of the seeds. And it, yeah, so I do quite like Halloween. I maybe and I've been to a few Halloween parties, but not so many in recent years. Um, so I do quite like the spooky season, even though I'm not a fan of horror films per se. Uh, there is something about Halloween that I, you know, whoo, I quite like. <laughs> Excellent. Now, that may be surprising for some listeners because... As Joe said, she's best known for her science and through the excellent podcast, Joe Durrant's Beautiful Universe. Mm-hmm. So before we go into talking all things horror, where can people find the podcast, Joe? Uh, the podcast, Jeff, is available on all of the usual podcast platforms. So you'll find it on um, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google. It's on Amazon. Um, there's a, a website as well. If you look me up on social media, um, you'll find links to the uh, to the podcast. And uh, we have passed now three years of the podcast, which I started in uh, 2000, no, not that long ago, uh, which I started in 2020, um, that year, none of us are ever going to forget, uh, launched it um, just as we were about to go into another lockdown, I think. And um, you and uh, Graham have been on the podcast many times talking about science fiction films um, but I do all sorts of things on the podcast because I bring together arts and science um, so sometimes it'll be a scientist I'm talking to it could be an artist and uh, most recently you were with me for the three-year anniversary episode at the beginning of October um, with our special guest Corey Brotherson and talk, uh, Corey uh, was revealing his top 10 science fiction films which we like to do as an occasional series so yeah you'll find the podcast wherever you find your podcast give it a give it a listen give it a follow if you'd like to and um make sure you check out the episodes that jeff and graham were on because they're very entertaining we did a whole series actually that's one of my favorite things i think we've done is we did a whole series going decade by decade from the 1950s through to the current day and it's amazing when we do the top 10 with people how many of those films that we have talked about through the different decades because you obviously you've picked out that you know the, the best films i suppose from from those decades case will come up in people's top 10 um and we did our own virtual um science fiction fantasy film festival didn't we about a year ago yes, when we, we, we met in we person the one time on this podcast we've actually met in person and uh, that was wonderful because we had so many great suggestions mostly things around the 1980s i seem to remember which i quite liked because it was my decade that i was growing up in so although the 90s is probably more my my era 
Excellent. And if you listen very carefully to all of Joe's episodes, you will find the one where Graham talks sense. (laughs) (laughs) But today... Just a contrast with Jeff's constant drivel. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But today we're not talking science, but surprise, surprise, as it's Halloween, we are indeed talking horror. Not just any old horror, though. There's one specific area we're going to delve into. Isn't that correct, Joe? It is. And and as I've, you know me very well by now, I don't like horror films, generally speaking. I have seen a, a very small selection of horror films. I think I've seen one of the Scream movies. I've seen I Know What You Did Last Summer. Again, I, you know, was a child of the 80s and the 90s. So it sort of, you know, ages me a little bit. And I have, I don't know, you wouldn't probably class it as a horror film, but I have seen things like The Fog and The, the Shining. Yep. I mean, they're disturbing yep. films. Would you class them they as horror? Are. Yep, they yeah. are horror. I've watched those, but that was because I had a friend that used to really like, like inviting me around to his house and putting on really scary movies. I maybe he didn't like me very much. Um, (laughs) And and we'd go and see quite a lot of scary movies at the cinema together sometimes because he always seemed to get to pick a lot of the films. So they're not really my choice. And I found, yeah, The Fog, I found a really, really disturbing film. Probably because yeah. I've, you know, for, for many, many years uh, have worked in radio. <laughs> it's a radio station in a lighthouse, isn't it? I seem to remember. Ooh. That makes, yeah, I, I put it this way. I'm never going to go and work on a radio station in a lighthouse ever since we've seen that film. <laughs> but, the, but the genre of film we are going to talk about is vampire films. And um, when we get to the final selection, you'll sort of see why this has been maybe an exception for me to the as I say, my general dislike and, and fear of, of horror films. I don't like anything particularly gruesome, but I'm okay with the sight of blood. And there's not all of these films have really, really gruesome sort of scenes in them. Um, I don't know what it is about vampires. There's something very enticing about them. And, and they, you know, you sort of shouldn't like them, but you do. So, so yes, I've got, I've got five for you to, to see what you think of them. Excellent. The thing with vampires, is, as opposed to most movie monsters, is they look human. Yes. Slightly darker in their outlook in the world, but they're Mm. human. You know, they go further than normal society rules would allow you to go. Yeah. And often quite attractive as well, I've noticed. Not maybe all of them, but some of them, certainly. So maybe that helps. There is that. So so we're going to do your top five. And then Mm -hmm. after that, I'm going to set you a challenge. Three films that are not mentioned in your top five to see if you've seen them. And by my descriptions, would you watch them? So... Okay. The right. Vampire Challenge. Mm. Right. Okay. <laughs> Let's go for the top five then. What's in position number five? Well, this is a film from the early 1990s, 1994, I think, and it is Interview with the Vampire. Ooh. And I haven't seen this film for years. So, I mean, in terms of what happens in it, I mean, my, my memory is a little bit hazy, as it might be with some of these films, because I don't think I've watched them multiple times. Um, but I know it's based on an Anne Rice novel, and it stars, mm. a, I say a very young, a pretty young, Tom Cruise and Brad Pitt. And... Yeah. Um, I, and also, I was I was looking this up before I did the recording. Kirsten Dunst is in it as, as like a young child, isn't she? Little I seem girl, to remember. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, Antonio Banderas is in it as well. Christian Slater. Um, so Christian Slater plays a journalist, and um, it's the Brad Pitt character Louis, I think from memory, who is telling his story in the modern day of how he got turned into a vampire, and and that all obviously links us back to Tom Cruise. From watching it, I find it quite a compelling story. Um, and you know it's quite dark in places um but it, i don't remember feeling really really scared by it although i think i think tom cruise's character is is quite 
quite scary in places. He's barking mad. Yeah, the vampire <laughs> Lestat. Yes. Yeah. Does this get your seal of approval? Oh, it's oh, a great yeah. film. D- directed by uh, Irish director Neil Jordan. It's great. I mean, they've been trying to film it since the 70s. The book came out, I think, 76. Um, at one point, John Travolta was going to take the lead. At another point, Sting was going to take the lead. Really? All, yeah. Yes. All those versions fell through. And then you uh, ended up with Tom Cruise and Brad Pitt. Although my understanding is they didn't particularly get along well during filming, which is oh. why there was never a sequel. Yes. Um, but there's a. Do you, do you know the story behind the writing of the book, where Anne Rice was coming from? No, I don't actually. So Anne Rice had a daughter who died very young from leukemia. And as part of her grief, she put it into the book, Interview with the Vampire. So the young girl is representative of her own child. Ah, that's Claudia who Kirsten Dunst um, yes. plays. Yes. Yeah. yeah, so she's and she's turned into her mother dies, I think, doesn't? Well, she's dying, and then but then she is turned into a vampire, so that um, Louis, well, Louis and and Lestat effectively bring her up, don't they? Yes. Except, yeah, she can't age um, yeah. as such. And spoiler alert for anybody who hasn't seen this excellent film. Um, so just jump forward. Her death is particularly horrific. Mm. it's uh, a tremendous film they have done sequels to it like queen of the damned but they all flopped because it just didn't have the magic you know there's something a real gravitas about this film i think mm. yes um, as, as you say it's not horror it's it's almost like an epic fantasy excellent choice to start number five there uh what have you got as number four joe well, we're staying in the 1990s for this one. This is a film from 1998. Now, I didn't see it at the cinema. Um, I don't think I saw an interview with a vampire at the cinema either, because in 1994, I was about 13. So I'm not sure I would have seen it at the cinema. But this film from 1998, I remember watching in the early, probably early, very early 2000s. And I was at university. And it probably links to another film we're going to talk about and um, what my number one choice is as well. I think at this point, I'd really got quite into the whole sort of vampire genre. And um, this film is Blade and uh, it stars Wesley Snipes um, as the main character. And he's a human with vampire strengths, but he's a vampire hunter, isn't he? And uh, I know Chris Christopherson was also in this film. Um, I mean, am I right in saying it's based on a, a comic book? Is yes. that right? Yeah. Oh, a, a Marvel book. comic. Yes. Oh, joy. Oh, um, dear. You're not a fan of Marvel, are you, Jeff? No, but I am a fan of Blade. The Blade films are quite good. It's nice to finally meet you, man. I've had my eye on you for years. I know all about you. Your serum, Whistler, everything. Sunblock. Hey, it's a start, right? The goal, of course, is to be like you. Daywalker. You got the best of both worlds, don't you? All our strengths, none of our weaknesses. Well, maybe I don't see it that way. And there's a lot of action in it. And I'm not, you know, you're a huge fan of, of, of action films per se. Um, but I, you know, I think you kind of get, you know, you kind of get carried away with the main character and what he's doing. Um, it has been years since I've seen it, but I remember watching it and being really impressed. And it sort of stayed in my mind for quite a long time. So that's why I felt like it had to be in my top five somewhere. 
and and again, like Interview with the Vampire, it built up a believable world around mm. it. You know, mm. the day, you know, Blade, the Daywalker, um, and the vampire world with Stephen Dorff, I think, played the um, the Deacon Frost, he played, yes, yes the, uh, yeah, the really main good. vampire. Um, but yeah, it's incredibly gory. I mean, that shower of blood in the beginning, mm. the whole nightclub scene in the beginning is uh, pretty strong. Um, the relationship, the father-son relationship between Wesley Snipes and Chris Christopherson is, is really well handled. In fact, so well handled that they had to cheat a bit on how that ended up when they brought Chris Christopherson back for Blade 2. Yes. Ah. And it's, it's quite a dark film, isn't it? I mean, as in sort of cinematically, I remember it being quite dark. So I know a lot of it takes place at night. You mentioned the nightclub scene. Um, I, I've got this image that he wears like a big black coat, but maybe I've got, I've got remembered that wrong. But it's yeah, it, no, it, he it, does, it, yeah. it does, yeah, he does, doesn't he? It is quite dark in in tone and in look. Would that be fair to say? Yes, yeah, yeah. It, it had a, a style. Um, Stephen Norrington directed it, he, and he was good at creating worlds, although he went too far. Because after this, he directed The League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. Uh, Sean yes. Connery's last film, mm. and Connery um, at one point threatened to punch him. Uh, <laughs> they had separated, um, and in fact, he never directed a film after that, which is a real shame because Blade is a very stylish vampire movie. It, it captured, you know, in terms of music, it was there at the beginning of the renaissance of comic book characters. Although mm -hmm. you don't need to see it as a comic book character. Um, they're just about to bring Blade back into the Marvel series of films at the moment. Oh, interesting. Yeah, Mahershala Ali will play Blade. We've got high hopes for that. Yeah, I'll which is opposed to anything else that Marvel do. Yes. Um, it will be a tone, it won't be as gory as this. They will be aiming for a much lower certificate. Mm. What was time. it? What was the certificate? Interesting. When it came yeah. out, it was an 18. eighteen. Yeah, that's why I probably didn't. Well, how old was I? Nineteen ninety-eight. I would have been. I was seventeen, but no, I didn't see it at the cinema. I was in my early twenties when I watched it. So yeah, I mean, and, and violent films, anything that's too gory, don't particularly like normally. But um, I, yeah, I quite enjoyed this one. Yeah, well, that's a, another great choice, uh, and in fact, that's another one Graham and I also agree on. Mm. Wow, continue this trend with number three. Well, at number three, we're going back quite far in time to 1922, when I don't think any of us were around. Um, uh, Jeff was. That way, Graham. I set you up for that one. Um, yeah. This is Nosferatu. Now, I could have probably picked any number of films that are based on the, the Dracula story. And I think this is sort of an unofficial adaptation, isn't it, of uh, Bram Stoker's mm. uh, 1897 Dr Dracula story. But I just distinctly remember watching this at university. So I went to the University of Gloucestershire and I did an English literature and a media communications degree back in the early 2000s. And one of the courses we had to do, which was at, um, at Pitville, which of course is now not a not a campus, I think it's accommodation or something like that these days. But I remember sitting in a lecture theatre, very small, sort of like it's almost like a seminar room. And one particular module was all about film. And we, what, for what I can't remember what the reason was we watched this particular one, but one week we sat and watched this this film from 1922 and it is is black and white uh it's silent isn't it i think from memory it's silent, yeah, yeah. It is, yeah, yeah but it is so atmospheric and i think to be able to put across that drama and tension when you don't have dialogue 
is quite something. And I, I know there's the iconic shot that you will have seen. I'm, I'm sure, it's, you know, it's been sort of put around you know, the internet and that kind of thing of the character on the staircase. that's sort of in a bit of a shadow. And he had these kind of like, like claws, didn't he? And, and, and obviously the teeth. And um, yeah, I mean, it's quite frightening. Yeah, very much like a rat, like more than, mm. than or, yeah. or a vampire bat, I suppose, yeah. with yeah. the ears pointed, the teeth coming down, rodent teeth. Yeah, absolutely. Not an attractive vampire. I and I said at the beginning, a lot of vampires are attractive. Don't think this one is. <laughs> no. um, but it's yeah, I, I think it's it is so iconic, and that's why I felt like it had to be in my my top five, really. But it has been. I think I never watched it that one time, but I felt like it it, it had to be in there. Well, in a way, you're extremely lucky to have watched it at all because uh, what happened with German filmmakers stole um, the plot from Dracula and Bram Stoker's widow was very, very protective of the rights to the book. In fact, Dracula, when it first came out in 1898, wasn't a big success as a novel. It then generated that story and Stoker's widow helped to to perpetuate that and she was very very careful with the rights so the rights had not been granted to anybody the, this slot would never stand a chance so they just plagiarized that made this film she sued them won the, the lawsuit and the result of the lawsuit was every print had to be destroyed hmm. as it happened um, a couple of prints had made it across Europe and some had made it to America those missed the the burning uh, of this film and that's how it come it survives today but yeah it's it is an incredible some of the imagery that still holds with us and of course it was made in um the aftermath of world war one there's a lot yes. of imagery about bringing out all the dead on coffins yeah and all the rats so so it, it referenced both world war one and also the spanish flu which mm. uh, decimated the world in from 1918 to 1920 all of that is contained within the film but it it's so powerful the film it, it really is and in fact they remade it in 1979 with Klaus Kinski mm. and they've just remade it again with Aaron Taylor Johnson Nicholas Holt and Bill Skarsgård playing Count Orlock in this version and that comes Why? out next year yeah it it all sounds great until you learn that the the director's Robert Eggers. So <laughs> all, all hope just fled the building when I heard that. He made such films as The Witch and um, that awful Viking movie of a couple of years ago, The Northman. Which was great. Yes. Yeah, that's, that's another one we you. disagree on. Yeah. Yeah. In fact, but, everybody disagrees with Jeff on The Northman. There's also a film called Shadow of the Vampire star in Nicolas Cage and Willem Dafoe. And that's mm. about the making of Nosferatu. And it takes the dramatic cheat of saying the guy playing the vampire actually was a vampire exploited yeah, by the clever. filmmakers. Uh, it's a very unusual film and well worth seeing. But the, as you can see, this whole cult has grown up around Nosferatu. An absolutely incredible film. And I think so much of what we have as horror mythology in terms of landscapes you know the landscapes look scary mm -hmm. came out of this german expressionistic cinema of the time um and i think vampire films also copied that you you look at the 1931 version of dracula with bella lugosi and you can see again some of that imagery transferring into that film as well so yeah your choice of number three joe is um landmark 
Uh, so, Joe, into the top two. Now, number two is... Well, this isn't one particular film. It's a series of films. I think it was a trilogy, but there might have been more than that. It's the Twilight Saga. Now, oh, this, this no, might not, but yeah, you see, I thought this might have cooked my chips when I, when I picked this out. Um, it was made in, well, the first one was 2008. And of course, there have been a number of films since then, starring uh, Christian Stewart as uh, Bella, uh, Robert Patterson as Edward Cullen. And I remember watching, I first got into watching these films, I think it was in 2012, and I was off poorly for about a month from work, and I got my way through the entire box set of Glee. Not sure you're going to approve of that choice either. <laughs> and it was <laughs> like, oh, I better all the time. Yeah, there we go, you see. And I wasn't watching the Rocky Horror Picture Show either, which I know you're not a fan of, although quite appropriate for Halloween. Um, anyway, I uh, remember watching the first couple of films, and I think I ended up watching, I, I'm trying to think now if there was three or four in total. It might have been like a, a bit like some of the films that they sort of split in half and they and they do the last one in, in two films. Um I probably like the first film maybe more than I like the others. Um, it, it kind of got a bit, you know, the main characters got married eventually and, and he's a vampire. So how is that really going to work? Um, and yeah, I won't sort of spoil it by saying what happens later on. There are various other characters. There's one character that I think becomes a werewolf and that sort of thing. I mean, it's probably not the best series of films ever, but I found them quite enjoyable and I thought pretty well acted. And um, yeah, and I, and the sort of the sort of the vampire mythology that that I grew up sort of growing up especially around the sort of the 80s and the 90s the films and the tv series I thought it would sort of move that you know things on from there so I quite liked the twilight saga I maybe I maybe should have maybe not put it at number two maybe put it slightly lower down my list but um, because it was more recent I that's why I ended up at number two but yes I'm guessing you're you're not such fans of it well having it above Nosferatu is interesting um <laughs> Now, well, my confession on this is I've only ever seen the first Twilight. I was going to say Twilight's on there. I've only ever seen the first Twilight film. Mm. And I thought it was okay. I didn't, you know, I only saw it a couple of years ago. I thought, yeah, okay, if opportunity permits, I'll get round to watching some of the others. But it was reasonable. I mean, I see you've snuck werewolves in as well here, not yeah. just vampires. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I thought it was all right. I'm sure Graham's read the books. You've only seen it once, Jeff. I've seen it about five million times. Having a teenage daughter does that to you. I've seen the whole <laughs> flipping series. My daughter was absolutely obsessed with this. Yeah, the Twilight Saga, Eclipse, New Moon. And you're right, it was Breaking Dawn Part 1 and Breaking Dawn Part 2. So it was, split, it. It was a trilogy, but split into four bits, yeah. Yeah. Um, so, but did, uh, and, oh, did I enjoy it? I thought it was twaddle. Um, but, <laughs> but yeah, not my demographic really. The thing that it did do to me was gave me real problems with watching, you know, Robert Patterson and taking him seriously. And then you see him in The Batman, he's brilliant. Yeah. And I, uh, I had that problem with Patterson after Tenant. <laughs> Is he in Tenant? But, yeah. Yes. He oh. is. Yeah. I haven't seen it. Yeah, but you know he is a fine actor. Who'd have thought? Because um, yeah, but you have to start somewhere, I suppose. Hmm. Exactly. Well, actually, I think he was in one of the Harry Potter films, wasn't he? Was he not in the Goblet the of Fire? Best Harry Potter film, number four. 
yeah, the one that David Tennant was also in as well. He wasn't a very nice character in it, though, from, from memory. But yeah, you're right, actually. I think if I was going to have to choose a favourite Harry Potter film, Goblet of Fire would be it. It's that moment where it goes from the, sort of the first three are kind of, you know, of, of yeah. OK, especially the second one with the flying car and little Dobby the house elf. But number four for me was that turning point in the Harry Potter universe. And I don't know if it's the same with the books. I mean, I know the book because I used to work in a library back in the late 1990s and people would come in, you know, as soon as these books came out, it was just phenomenal. But this book was double the size of the, (laughs) almost the same size as all the other three gone before it. And then it just got bigger and bigger. And that for me was the film where things changed and it became a lot darker and a lot more adult, I would say, in some of the themes and some of the things that happen. It's almost like the kids are growing up now. It was that kind of moment I felt in that particular film. But anyway, that's going off into a different direction, isn't it? But then, yeah, there you go. There's my number two for you, the the Twilight films. But just to come back to the Harry Potter for a second, uh, that was the first book uh, from J.K. Rowling that they produced in an adult cover as well. So they Mm. had the children's cover and then they had the adult's cover. And I remember I was flying out to Los Angeles on a project and uh, walking down through the plane and everybody was reading this book all the, the yeah. passengers and the kids had their version and the adults had their version. It, she must have made a fortune just from that plane alone. It, everybody was reading. It was quite a cultural phenomena for that year. But to come back to your sparkly vampires, no, not a fan. <laughs> okay, interesting. Well, I'm going to take the, a, a leaf out of a, another excellent podcast that we sometimes work with and recap on the first four before we go on to number five. So... <laughs> In at number five, Tom Cruise in a frilly shirt with Interview with a Vampire. Um, Number four, it's the very moody Blade. Don't cross him on you're in trouble. Number three is the It Shouldn't Be There, but it is Nosferatu. Number two, Graham's favourite, the Twilight series. And in with a bullet at number one is what, Joe? Well, this is not, well, I say it's not a film. It actually was a film back in 1992, but I've not, I don't think I've seen the original film or maybe I have once, but the, what I've chosen is actually an entire television series, two television series, which really started my interest in anything to do with vampires. And that's Buffy the Vampire Slayer, followed by the sister series, Angel. So Buffy ran from 1997 until 2003 and Angel ran from 1999 to 2004. She gets a stake and, you know, she gets rid of the vampires by dashing, bashing them in the heart with the stake. And then poof, they just evaporate into dust, which I still think today the special effects are still quite good. Um, And she's got a team of friends around her, including um, Giles, the librarian, uh, played by the brilliant um, Anthony Head. And um, I worked in a library in the late 1990s. So maybe that's why I had an affinity, although my library wasn't anywhere near as (laughs) lovely as the library they had in, in the high school. And the first three series are very much centered around the high school. And I felt like the series was a real metaphor for some of the teenage issues that you have to deal with. Mm. And some of the storylines, it certainly felt like that. But there were some quite adult things that happened in this in this series. And sometimes, you know, I, would, I mean, I, I had everything to do with this series. A bit like, you know, my love of the Spice Girls. I collected everything to do with them. I had um, books about Buffy and Angel. There were fiction books that were written kind of based around the series as well. So I had some of those. But they would sometimes say that maybe the version, because we used to get it on BBC 
1982. The version we got to see might be slightly different to maybe some of the versions that might have gone out in America. If you know, it, it, there were times, there were scenes I think that were either cut or changed mm. and didn't quite make it to the television version because they they were quite dark in nature. Um, after series four for me of Buffy was probably the disappointment. That's the year where she goes off to university and she's still in Sunnydale, which is basically a town built on a hellmouth, which is why there's so much of this sort of horror activity happening. But that's where we kind of get the departure of characters like Angel and Cordelia, and they go off in their own spin-off series. So you bring in some new characters, um, some of whom were, were better than others, and we sort of follow that through right to the end of the series. And yeah, I mean, the last series I think was was pretty good. Um, there was a few sort of hit and misses in, in kind of in the middle of that, but some also very moving episodes. Um, Buffy loses her mother at one point in one, one episode, I think that may have even won an Emmy Award or something like that. And then you have the sister series, Angel. So Angel was the vampire with a soul who in the early days of Buffy, Buffy falls in love with, but he's not allowed to experience any moment of happiness because if he does, he will lose his soul. I mean, I think that he was, he was cursed apparently. It's a bit of a rubbish curse, isn't it? You don't want him to become this horrible, you know, really evil killer. So you give him a soul. And then as soon as he experiences a moment of pure happiness, he loses his soul and becomes a, a, a bloodthirsty killer again. I mean, that I'd never really quite got that. But that was a big plot arc in series two. And series two ends with with her basically having to sacrifice and send him to to hell just at the moment um willow who is who becomes a, a very powerful witch at one point in you know later in in future series finds a way to restore his soul and he, there's this moment he suddenly realizes oh my gosh what's what's just happened and there's a beautiful song that's playing at the end of that by sarah mclaughlin called full of grace which to this day is one of my favorite songs of all time and this the, the score by christoph beck was just incredible um, i bought this, this, this cd you won't be surprised to know because they there was one um, element in it in the early days of the series where they'd have bands perform at this particular club and so then you'd often get some of those songs that were performed on the, the cd soundtrack anyway in late years as I say Angel goes off on his way he has to leave when when Buffy's sort of finishing high school the, the high school I think almost sort of gets blown up and ends up in, in the hellmouth I think at one point um he goes off to, to Los Angeles this you know the city of angels um to try and sort of you know help people um he sets up a bureau I think uh, and one of the characters that's been in in um in Buffy Cordelia she ends up going there with him and then all sorts of things happened in Angel um they had a lot of different characters that came into it um and there was a karaoke bar in one series I remember um but there were also two great characters in series two of Buffy one of whom came ended up in Angel as well and that was um Spike and Drusilla and in fact the actress Juliet Lando who plays um Drusilla follows me on Twitter or X or whatever it's called these days um so there you go there's my little claim to fame but I really liked the character of Spike he was very very funny and um he was he was the, the character was British and they did whole backstories about how Angel became a vampire and where Spike and Drusilla came into it. So this is what got me into sort of vampire films, really. After watching that, that's when I would think, oh, I'm going to go and watch Blade. I'm going to watch Interview with the Vampire. I'm going to watch all these others and see how it compares. I think in one series, Buffy even does meet Dracula. I think there is a, a Dracula episode in it, which sort of had to happen at some point. So, yeah, for me, I have not rewatched the series in a number of years. They had a musical episode, though, that I have seen on a number of occasions. And it turned out Once quite a lot of could sing once more with feeling i love that i mean i love anything to do with musicals as you know it was just brilliant so that would be my my number one and it's um a series i've always loved and i think 
I think if I went back and watched it now, I would still enjoy it. Some series, some films you watch with hindsight and you think, oh, does that work? Is that reference okay? Would I be comfortable with that now? And there might be some elements of that. But I think actually the the, the themes it took on and some of the topics it dealt with um, for the, for the time, I think it was, it was sort of quite progressive and would still be resonant to this today, really. So there you go. There's my number one. Absolutely. And it's, it was groundbreaking TV because it's the first horror series, certainly in America, that wasn't just episodic. In other words, um, you could watch any, any one of the episodes out of sequence. You couldn't, Mm. you had to watch it in sequence for it to make sense. So that and the Sopranos uh, at that time broke TV rules as we'd come to know them from the 60s onwards. So it, it's a very important show um, in that. Some great performances. If you had to pick two favourite episodes out of it, which would you pick? Um, I think I'd pick the musical one, Once More With Feeling. Oh, Once More With Feeling, yeah. Yeah, just because it was so, so different. Um, what would I pick from one of the others? It would probably be one of the early um, episodes. It it might be, I think it was called Becoming. I think that was the last okay. two episodes mm. of the series season two where um, yeah. uh, Angel is you know, has to die. But then episode one was, the part one of that was pretty, pretty brutal. You know, Drusilla kills another um, sort of vampire slayer because that's something that happens in the series. But Buffy dies in inverted commas a number of times. And then if a slayer dies, another one is sort of comes in. And so you end up getting these sort of extra slayers that come in. And, and that becomes quite pivotal, actually, as the series ends. So probably, yeah, once more with feeling and probably becoming part two, if that's the name of it. I think that's the name of it. Okay, um, yeah, no, I think that's right. In I series mean... two. You do know this is a crime scene, don't you? But then you're a criminal. So that pretty much works out. No, I didn't do it. The police will figure it out. In case you haven't noticed, the police of Sunnydale are deeply stupid. For me, uh, I, w- I would add Hush. Yeah. Oh, season Hush. Four. Oh, season yes. Season four, yes. Yeah, yeah. that was yeah. unbelievable. I said season four wasn't my favourite. That would be the exception in that because it is almost completely silent and you yes. get these really scary characters called the gentlemen that yeah. just sort of glide around and they they just look i mean they look a bit like nosferatu actually yes. don't they they yeah. are really really scary monsters and there's a but there is a really funny scene in it where they're trying to communicate with one another and they end up getting like little um whiteboards like mini whiteboards with marker yes. pens to write on there and I don't know if it's Giles or who it is, but somebody gets really annoyed with the little stick figures that they're drawing or Buffy gets upset with what Giles has drawn about her. And there's just a really funny moment in it because they can't speak, but it's just all sort of told through body language and put a pointing at things. So there are moments of humour in that, but you're right. And I kind of think that might have won an award or something that particular mm, episode. I think it did, yeah. Yes. It, was, um... it was, yeah, absolutely phenomenal. And And some of the things in it, were quite scary. Some of the monsters were quite scary, but I always think that the gentlemen in Hush are a bit like the Weeping Angels in Doctor Who. Exactly, yes. They are so quiet and stealth-like, and you don't necessarily have to be a monster bursting out of a person, you know, alien style. It can actually be something much more subtle and very unsettling 
And that's what I particularly like about it. And, and it became about more than the vampires. And I probably prefer the episodes that were a bit more about, you know, chasing down vampires. The master, for example, is in the very first series, sort of this really old vampire. And that's sort of, you know, they call them sires. They, you know, sort of produce the, the, the vampires. That sort of, so Angel has kind of come from a line that's come from the master. And again, when you go back to something like Nosferatu, I think you can see influences I think in something like Buffy with things that have gone before. Cause again, he's when they, when they turn into vampires, they did it obviously with, you know, prosthetic makeup. They, 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 their sort of face changes when they're kind of going to vampire mode and their kind of mm. eyes sort of pickle up and the, the teeth come down and everything. So they don't look particularly attractive when they're, you know, like that. Um, but, you know, in terms of when they're not like that, um, you know, Angel and Spike would, you know, quite good looking guys so they weren't hard on you know on the eyes to watch and you could sort of see particularly with someone like angel like what a kind of brooding character he was but also when he got his own spin-off series was really quite funny as well which i don't think you always necessarily got in in buffy when he got to sort of have his own series and of course went on you know the actor uh david boreanaz went on to be in one of my favorite series which is bones which absolutely love that so and you know the, the cast have, have gone on to do amazing things haven't they the ones that were in um, buffy and angel have gone on to do so many so many you know great things um so yeah so that's that's why i picked that one i know it's not technically a film but it was of course a film wasn't it jeff back in 1992 is where it all came from it was the film was a complete disaster um joss whedon complained bitterly that it wasn't the script he wrote um i have my suspicions that may not be completely accurate but uh, the film just didn't work and uh to get a chance to redo it for TV and then to create such a monster hit. Incredible. Incredible. Mm. And to there this is- day, it still kept going through comics. And um, the there was another great episode I just remember now of Buffy where they have when we talked about we often talk about when when you come on my podcast and we talk about science fiction cinema we talk about alternate realities. There's a brilliant episode where Cordelia she's broken up with with Xander one of the main characters and she decides she wishes that Buffy had never come to Sunnydale because that's where she thinks all of her problems mm-hmm. had started. You know Cordelia's kind of the mean girl. She's you know quite popular though, and then she kind of gets brought into the Scooby Gang as they call them. I'm get obviously a reference to Scooby Doo and she. She kind of gets brought in a bit on the periphery at first, but then eventually she sort of gets brought in and then she starts going out with Xander and they, they then break up and she's really upset. And so she decides that if Buffy had never come to Sunnydale, everything would be fine. And so she makes a wish and she ends up talking to somebody called Anya, who becomes a main character later on in, in the series. And at the time uh, she's a demon and she can grant wishes and she grants this wish. And unfortunately things are not so good with Buffy had never come to Sunnydale because there's <laughs> people around because they've all been not you know bumped off or turned into vampires or something like that um and and the character i think willow actually is is a, a vampire in it i think she's kind of like a vampire yes. alternate version yeah. and then mm. when the, the, the sort of the two worlds ends up merging and then the the original willow meets the vampire willow and and she says oh i think i might be gay in this reality and of course that's actually what they then set up as a character art for the, for the character of willow um who was then with with a character called tara for for many years and that was that was also a very very sad episode because poor Tara, I quite liked. She um, she met an untimely end, and that sent Willow off into a real path of being probably one of the one of the most disturbing scenes I think I've ever seen was somebody being flayed alive <laughs> in Buffy, and I think that's one of the scenes they had to cut or change or censor a little bit when when Willow went very 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 dark. Um, 
but yeah, that was I, I enjoyed that episode with the alternate reality of you know what would have happened if Buffy hadn't have come. I think the, the conclusion was better that she had come to Sunnydale and that more people <laughs> would be alive and well. But yeah, they did just they did do some great standalone episodes. There was always an arc in the series, but then sometimes within that there would just be an odd episode that if you had never seen the series before, like Once More with Feeling, you could watch mm. that on its own and you would still have an idea of what was going on. They are referencing different points. Um but and I, that's what I lo- loved about the series. You know, you could just get a bit of a one-off and go, oh, okay. Especially if there was quite a, a, a serious arc going on and then you wanted a bit of light relief, there might just be quite a funny episode that would, you know, that would come into it. So, um, yeah, I must have to go back and watch them, but it, I've got the entire set of DVDs somewhere at my mum's house, I think. So I'm going to have to, you know, I need some time. to Over the winter, that's what I'll do. I'll rewatch yeah. the entire yep. series of Buffy followed by Angel. And they did, one final point, I know I'm rambling on because I'm very excited about this. Um, they did do some crossover episodes with Angel. But the problem was when it was shown on British television, as I say, the Buffy was always on BBC Two. And I think it was Channel 4 that ended up. It was Channel 4 or Channel 5, I seem to remember. It was Channel 4, had it? It was yeah. Channel 4, yeah. wasn't it? They got the rights to Angel. Well, then why are two rival channels going to show TV programs at the right time to coincide with one another? And I can't remember what happened now, but I mean, Buffy got, you know, taken off for like the tennis and sporty stuff as as often happens on on bbc sometimes and meanwhile angel was sort of merrily skipping along and i was like, no there was one really key episode very very early on in season four of buffy and season one of angel where buffy goes to los angeles because angels come back to sunnydale like i forget now the reason why and she finds out he's been there and he's she's really really annoyed because they'd kind of broken up at the end of the previous season and he'd said you know i've got to sort of walk away from your life and and they get to be together finally. You know, it looks as if they can finally get their happy ending. And it's this wonderful episode. And then sadly it it, it is not to be. And then she never knows that they even had this day, which is yeah, I feel so sad. They should be together. I'm you know, I'm sorry. I know he's a vampire and it's probably not right. I think it's more like <laughs> a few angels to be together than than the than the Twilight ones, which is, you know, which was I don't oh, know. I, I, I couldn't agree gun. more. <laughs> <laughs> so yes there we go wow fantastic so it's time for the challenge that was a wonderful top five thank you so i wrote down a long list of vampire movies and i'm going to pick Mm -hmm. three from this list to see if you've seen them and if you hadn't seen them would you watch them so i'm discounting from my list straight away films like the legend of the seven golden vampires uh that's kung fu fighting vampires and the the comedy lesbian vampire killers. Well, so we're discounting those. Okay. Right. So number one, The Lost Boys. Oh, now that? have I? Do you know what? I, I think I have, but it was a long, long time ago. I think again, it was in my th- my my phase of watching anything that was sort of vampire related. I know a bit about it, but I can't remember if I have seen it. It's a long time ago. But t- remind us of the of the plot, and then I can tell you if I'd watch okay. it again. The Lost Boys title is a reference to Peter Pan. Mm. Um, But in this case, it's set in Santa Clara in California. And uh, a family, a mother and two sons, uh, have to go live with her father uh, in Santa Clara. And um, initially they try to fit in, but there's a gang of youths who sort of run the amusement park in a sort of protectionist sort of way. And it turns out they're vampires. And the oldest son by Jason Patrick 
sort of falls in with them and comes under the vampire spell. Um, it's a very moody piece. It's very funny in places. Um, musical soundtrack is amazing. Tracks from In Excess and Echo and the Bunnymen. Um, and there's actually music shown in the film because they play out um, on the boardwalk. So all of that's really good. The last time I saw this a few years ago, it was an open-air screening at one of the castle grounds in Gloucestershire. Mm -hmm. And um, it was brilliant. And the night, as the night went on, this little summer wind started blowing up. And, of course, that matches the wind effects in the film. Ooh. So it was a very, very atmos atmospheric feeling. And if you've, you know, you, you got on with Blade and Buffy, that certainly has the feeling of those films. Mm. And there's a nice little twist towards the end of it. And the way to dispatch the vampires, um, again, it's very funny because they got two young lads, teenagers, who sell comics who are believed, you know, they're trying to tell everybody there are vampires in Santa Clara. And um, they get hired by this family to try and fight off the vampires. Very funny. A little bit gory, but uh, it's the lightness of tone that you remember yes. from it. Remind me who's in it, Jeff. Uh, Kiefer Sutherland, Jason Patrick. Yes, that's it. I'd like to say I, I like I know the story a little bit, and I'm familiar, and I think I'm very, I'm very familiar with the music as well. But I can't remember if I've actually seen it, and if I have, it was a long time ago. So yes, I would definitely watch that one. Okay. Number two, Thirty Days of Night. This is such a great idea, Joe. You wonder why nobody's thought of it before, right? I don't even think I've heard of this film. Okay, it's from uh, 2007. Um, mm. There are places in the world that have months of darkness every winter, you know, mm -hmm. up to a month, maybe longer, where the sun never rises. I mean, how cool is that for a vampire? And great. the film is, is set in, uh, in a small Alaskan town where a group of very bloodthirsty vampires move in for a long winter feeding. So it's Ooh. the sheriff and the townsfolk are fighting back against them. Joss Hartnett, recently seen in Oppenheimer. Melissa George, previously of Home and Away, another oh. horror thing. Yeah. Um, I think I have seen this film now. You've, you mentioned those those actors. Just the name didn't, didn't sort of strike me, but I feel like I might have seen this film. What era, what sort of, um, where, where are they setting it in? What, what uh, it's set era? in Alaska. Uh, it's set in modern day. Oh, it is modern uh, day. Okay. It is modern day. Uh, but the vampires have their own language, an ancient Ooh. language. Um, and it is scary because when these vampires, it's not just a casual kiss on the neck here. Necks go. Um, oh. Well, maybe yeah. I haven't seen it then. Oh, gosh, uh, no, it, I don't know. It's brutal, but it's one of the most effective vampire films I've seen this century. I don't know if it's is it really um, violent. Well, I do. It I is struggle? really violent. I, I won't lie to you, Joe. Um, but the ending is is superb as well. Hmm. And um, is Josh Hartnett nice in it or not? Because I think I saw him in a film and he was quite quite uh, nice. Was he in, no, he's um, the hero. He's the, he's the, the hero. Organizes. Yeah. Was he in Pearl, not Pearl Harbor? Was he in Pearl Harbor? Yes, he was. Yes. Yeah. 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 Okay. Yeah. Well, I, I like him, so maybe I watch it. <laughs> That's it. <sort> of, yeah. <laughs> That's it. So, yeah. I don't know. I might have to cover, get a cushion though, every now and again, and cover my eyes in the in the neck bits. <laughs> have you described. seen it, Graham? Yeah, I've seen this one. Yeah. Um, I think um, my, my kids forced me to go with them and see it. Yeah. So it's you uh, saw it in the cinema. Yeah. Oh, yeah. you must have left halfway through for a change of trousers. <laughs> um, yeah, thanks. Yeah. 
No, it's okay. it's very very well done. It's very very well done. Good production values. Great story. You know. Yeah, and John Houston is the lead vampire. It's incredible. Right, my final one then, Joe. Mm-hmm. 1985, Fright Night. What would you do if you accidentally discovered the house next door was occupied by something not human? Something horrifying. Something unspeakably evil. No one believes you. Mom, I didn't have a nightmare. Not your mom. They did kill a girl over there. Not your girlfriend. Charlie, is this some sort of a trick to get me back? Not even the police. Look, I know it's crazy. I know that, but look, Lieutenant! It knows that you know. You'll do anything to protect yourself. But it will do anything to protect its secret. I have not seen this film, I don't think. I know of it. It sounds pretty scary. (laughs) Yes, I thought you'd like the title. Here's the setup for you. A young teen, well, teenage, about 16, 17, He's a big lover of old horror movies and he starts to suspect his new next door neighbor is a vampire who's been responsible for a series of murder in their small town. Now this is a more jokey horror film than most. And it's thanks to two great performances. One is Chris Sarandon as the very charismatic vampire who becomes infatuated with the girlfriend of the teenager, basically because she's the reincarnation of someone he knew from uh, many lives ago. And Roddy McDowell as a TV horror host who gets who's lost his job and comes to help the young lad uh, initially out of a need for money. But he starts to realize that actually there's a little bit more going on here than uh, just a hoax. Now, in the remake of this film, it was remade a few years ago. David Tennant played that role, Roddy McDowell. Ooh, can I watch uh, that version? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, and uh, David Tennant is good, but I don't think he's as good as Ronnie McDowell. Um, right. And uh, it's very stylish, great special effects, really knows its vampire lore, um, and a cracking music score. Uh, it's just a great 1980s vampire movie. But you can watch the remake if you want to watch David Tennant. Uh, well, I'd watch David Tennant read the phone book. You know that. So, yes. um, you know, yes, it, I have seen him in quite a lot of films where he hasn't been a particularly nice character. So it's not like I only watch him in, you know, Doctor Who or, you know, or in the R- or at the RSC. Um, but I wish he wouldn't stop playing, you know, nasty people because, you know, get a bit upset. Um, yeah. And I was just going to say, actually, with vampire and the vampire law, it does sort of vary, doesn't it? Depending on what film you're watching or TV series as to what will get rid of a vampire. I've, I mean, I've yet to really see garlic be an effective um, <laughs> method of dealing with a vampire really seriously. I mean, the stake through the heart, sunlight are the sort of two things. I don't, I'm thinking some don't like, don't like water, but I'm not sure that that's true in, in all of them, but it does uh, seem to vary. Dark, yeah. Yeah. Peacefully and he ends up under the ice in the water. Yeah. So, well, I mean, I would probably give most of those a try, Jeff, I think. Yeah, particularly The Excellent. Lost Boys. I think I would start with that one, actually, because yeah. I feel like it's a film I've heard a lot about. It's People seem to quite enjoy it, and I feel like it's a film that if I haven't, hadn't watched, I ought to have watched. I, I think Lost Boys and Fright Night have that Buffy quality about them, that they're a great yeah. deal of fun with it. Um, they're not to be taken too seriously. Uh, music on both is a real standout. Mm. 30 Days a Night is a different beast. <laughs> uh, I'm not going to lie to you. No. It's, 
it, a it, number it, of different beasts. Yes. Yeah. It's a great yeah. idea. It's very well executed. Um, but it is gory. Yeah. Yeah. I do, I, that's the thing. I don't like being scared and I don't like gory stuff. And sometimes I can handle a little bit of one if the other isn't there with it. So like I said, the, the film <laughs> The Fog isn't particularly gory, but it is very unsettling. And yeah. and I had to drive home from watching it at my friend's house in in the fog. So that was not fun. Um, uh, the Shining, I think I had to, I, that was it. And I watched The Shining and I was having to then, I was house sitting for some people, some friends of ours who lived over the road. So every time I heard a bump in the night that evening, I was absolutely terrified that somebody was going to come through the walls or something. So yeah, so I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm very, very choosy about when I watch some films that I'm going to find unsettling, not by myself at night, probably watch them in daylight. Maybe I'd find them less, less scary maybe and with company. Real bit of trivia for you then. Uh, do you know what the snow was in The Shining? The oh, snow? Yes. yes. No, what, what I, I do know that. It was, um, uh, in, not cotton wool. It was industrial salt. Is it? Yes. Tons of industrial salt, yeah. yeah. Mm. Gosh. Well, there, there we go. I've, I've learned something. Thank you for having me back on your um, podcast. Oh, no. It's been lovely to Thank talk about vampire the films. And now I'm hoping that I really did see Nosferatu in the early 2000s and somebody did have a copy of it because you said it was almost impossible to have got hold of. But I definitely no, no, have a no, recollection you, you, of no, watching it. It was, it was thanks to the Americans and the prints they had uh-huh. out there in the 1920s. Yeah. So, yeah, it's widely available. Oh, it um, is widely available. If um, Bram Stoker's widow had had her way, uh, nobody would nobody would see it. No, I think I saw the original. Well, when was the original Frankenstein out? That was in black and white. Ooh, I've, that in the thirties. Yeah, yeah would, would, maybe we watched that at the same time. I've got a, rec- a vague recollection of seeing seeing those, and they're not films that I would have just stumbled across on the television. They're definitely films I remember having to you know, would have sat down and watched. And it must have been part of this film course. But one of them I love from that period, which was nothing to do with vampires or anything, was Paris, Texas. But that I think was part of my mm. American literature course, and that's just a brilliant oh, film. film. But I love the I love the book on the road, so it sort of ties in a little bit with that. But that's that's a film topic for another day because I don't know where Absolutely. that would what genre <laughs> that fits in. Oh yeah, we even cover Ry Cooder's amazing music for it. Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. Amazing. Halloween, so I'm sure Graham will find some appropriate music to play out the show with. Spooky music, yep. Yep. <laughs> Joe, as always, it's always great fun talking to you. Sorry Graham's had to be here. Um, <laughs> oh, poor Graham. <laughs> All right, that's another punch. Right, okay. I'm just totaling them up here. Punch. Right. Well, thank you for having me on. It's been a, been a pleasure talking to you and I'll look forward to chatting to you again over the other side on my podcast at some point in the not too distant future, before Christmas, certainly. Yeah, absolutely. Joe. We mentioned earlier in the show, Joe, where people can, can find your podcast. What particular episodes would you really recommend and point people to from this year? Um, well, there's been so many great guests. I'm, I'm always very, you know, honoured really when guests want to come on and have a have a chat with me because I mean like yourselves this is a passion project for me you know it is it's not my not my day job I mean obviously it draws on on the many years of experience I've you know I've I've had um uh, with the BBC but um it's you know 100% independent podcast that I make 
for the love of it, really. Um, in episode 148, my special guest was Lauren Bucus. Um, now, I've, I'm sure if you listen to this podcast, you like films. Um, and Lauren um, is the author of a number of books, including The Shining Girls, which was a, turned into an Apple TV series not that long ago about a time-traveling serial killer. Um, but her most recent book is called Bridge, which is about something that we will delve into uh, in a future episode of the podcast with, with both of you. And that's about multiverses. So she was a really interesting guest to talk to. I would also point you towards episode 150, um, and that was a milestone 150th edition. Um, and that was with Andy Saunders, who's the person who uh, did the project Apollo Remastered, which was taking this incredible original film that had been digitally uh, copied, and he's then enhanced it very sympathetically. And you've got images, and he's created a book with it of people like Neil Armstrong that have, you know, never been seen in this way before. So it was a real treat to talk to Andy about the whole process that he went through, um, you know, to do that on the podcast. Um, we we often do myth busting on the podcast, which I really enjoy. All the episodes we have, Dr. Emma Weinel and Professor Adam Hart uh, coming on and, and doing myth busting which I enjoy. Um, another I think you'll probably like is, and you like your horror films, I don't know how you feel about thrillers in terms of books, but um, Jackie Cabler, who's a well-known author um, in Gloucestershire, she's uh, based in Cheltenham, um, her book The Vanishing of Class 3B has been out this year, so it was lovely to be able to have a chat with her. Um, and something else I've done this year on the podcast is a whole series of seasons with Faith Douglas, so we've done spring, we've done summer, We've done autumn and we will, of course, be talking about winter. So that's just been really nice to do that. Um, and of course, there have been many appearances um, from Jeff and Graham on the podcast. We've done a few top tens now. Uh, we did Paul Rincon. Um, he uh, chose his top 10 uh, science fiction films in episode 130. Uh, we also have Paul Scott on in episode 151. And then in the three year anniversary special, episode 155, we had uh, Corey Brotherson picking his top 10. Um, so that's been great because it's given us a chance to really you know delve into some of those films that we've sometimes talked about previously on the podcast so they probably be some of my highlights um that I've had but yeah when I just sort of look back and think back on the different topics and things that I've done it's um it's incredible really the 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 range you know we go from you know house histories one day uh, to talking about neuroscience another day um you know to maybe talking about science fiction uh, or photography um yeah it's a real pleasure to do the podcast and it's it's released every wednesday um so it's a weekly podcast and uh yeah i look forward to to you both coming back on before the end of the year when we're going to be delving into multiverses um and some and some more special guests to be announced Oh, that's brilliant. Thank you very Thank much, you. Joe. Thank you once again for this, and have a very happy Halloween. Yep. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> that was Casper the Friendly Ghost, I think. No. Oh, right. Brilliant. <laughs> we, we might steal that sound effect, don't you? Yeah. Right. <laughs> oh, you're very welcome. <laughs>